All right, so we're in a time right now that is so divided. I mean, I've never, I've never known a time like this. In my years of existence, I have never known a time where people were more divided and arguing about more things. If you are with me on that, raise your hand. Like, you've never seen a time like this. We argue about everything. Somebody literally posted a picture of a stick the other day and said, this is a stick. Is there anything to argue about? And like 18 people are like, no, it's a twig. That's a branch. I mean, it's crazy what's going on in our world today. And, and we, the, the, the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're responding to it. And here's what I'm hearing God tell me. And I, I'm telling you, this is not just a cool idea, a nice graphic, or a great way to get people in church. I want you to know as your pastor, I feel like I have heard from God. He wants to speak to us that we are responding to the culture when he created us to change the culture. Now, I'm going to need somebody to help me preach today. I'm really excited about this. And if you don't get excited, I'll just re-preach the same lines over and over and over again. I said, we're not designed to respond to the culture. God created us to change the culture. That's true. You're powerful. You're capable. You're anointed and you're called by God. And if there's ever been a time in your life that the culture needed changing, it is right now. COVID has brought out the worst in our politicians, our media and in some cases, us. I mean, right now, I, I just read the CDC says that over half of students, uh, student age uh, teenagers, have contemplated seriously suicide since COVID started. From the ages of 18 to 24, it's 25.5%, and above that, it's 16%. Porn use is at an all-time high right now. Alcoholism has surged as we declared liquor stores essential. Child abuse, according to the CDC, child abuse is up even as reporting of cases is down. How could that be? It's because mandatory reporters like nursery workers and, and daycare workers and, and, and teachers have been declared non-essential. Our government, our, our community, we got this wrong. We've lost any kind of confidence in the media or in politicians. We're, we're arguing about so many different things. There's all kinds of things. People that listen to CNN, they think they know a solution. People that listen to Fox, they know a different solution. Some of you listening to Fauci and you know the solution, or you're listening to your friends, or you're listening to science and you know the solution. I want to tell you what, I've been listening to Psalm 133 and I have found the solution. Listen to me, it's right in your Bible, been there 2,000 years, Psalm 133 and 1 says, it's good and pleasant when God's people live together in unity. Now that sounds real sweet and all, all, all churchy-feely, but look at the end of it. For there, everybody shout, there. there. Right there, that place, that time when we dwell together in unity, the Lord bestows, and the original Hebrew means commands. The Lord commands his blessing right there life forever. He commands his blessing when we get to a place of unity, when we get past all of the bickering and the small things that really don't have any eternal significance. And we focus on what really matters. God says, I'll command a blessing on all those things. Circumstances and situations around you cannot cancel the blessing of God that he commands. Can I hear an amen to that? So if you're taking notes, I'm going to tell you three bold things. I mean, you may not agree with everything I'm going to say today, and you have the right to get it wrong, okay? I'm going to tell you the truth today. Number one, the solution to the COVID crisis is the unity of the saints. That's the solution. 
Wear a mask if you want to. I hear it's a 30% decrease in transmission. That could be a good thing. Vote for your favorite political guy. Maybe your guy's better than the other guy. Stay at home, absolutely. If you're sick and, and, and you're weak, you should do that. But never forget that this book was written for all times and especially for this time. Right now, this book speaks to us, and God has reserved a blessing on people who recognize what really matters, and he says, I'm going to command a blessing in that place. In other words, if you can get to the place where you put things aside that may be very important in this world, but they really don't have any bearing on the next world, if you can put those things aside, God says right there, get in unity, I'll command a blessing. And, and this Stronger Together series that I'm, I'm going to be preaching over the next few weeks Several weeks. I don't know how much. I, I've got enough material to last this year, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hone it down to what I think is just best for us. We're going to rally around the things that make us stronger. Every day in the news, every day where you go to work or school, people are talking about the things that are making us weaker. Every day as you scroll through social media, you're looking at things that divide us. We're going to be talking about the things that unite us and make us stronger. And the one thing, there is one thing that reigns supreme over everything else, and it always has. For 20 centuries, it's been the most important thing. Before COVID, during COVID, and after COVID, it's still gonna be the most important things because the Bible says Jesus uh, was the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right, can I get an amen to that? The most important thing, the most important issue of the day is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what matters most, that he is Lord. And I know what you're thinking. That, that's a really good religious idea. And you know, when things are normal again, when things get back to normal, we'll get back to that. But right now, we've got to follow the science. Now, right now, we've got to protect our liberties. Right now, we've got to elect the right president. And we'll get back to religion when everything settles down. Let me tell you something I heard as a little boy, and I've learned it to be true my whole life. In your life, Jesus is either Lord of all, or he's not your Lord at all. When there's a place in your life where you go, well, I really love God and religion is important and my faith and my worship is important, but right now, you know, I've got to focus on fill in the blank. What you're saying is Jesus isn't really that important for me. And the most important question in all of scripture is the most essential question in all of history. And it's the most important question during COVID-19. The Roman governor back in Jesus's day was the first person to ask this question. He didn't know he was breaking history. He didn't know that what he was saying was going to be the most important question. But in Matthew 27 and 22, the Roman governor has Jesus before the mob and Pilate responded and said, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? The Messiah. That means he's the savior of the world. But if you think that Fauci is your savior, if you think that your mask is your savior, if you think money or science or education or the president is your savior, you know what? You don't have a savior. There's only one savior and his name is Jesus Christ. And write this down. Number two, the central question to COVID-19 is not when's the vaccine coming or what should the president do? It is what will you do with Jesus? Yeah. That's the central question in every culture. Well, wait a minute. I don't know about, let me tell you, the central question about your marriage is what will you do with Jesus? The central question about your finances is what will you do with Jesus? The central question for your health and your future and every major decision and your education, what college you go to students, the central question of everything in your life is where is Jesus in my life? Now, when, when, when Pilate first spoke those words, there were two groups of people in that angry mob. 
One group responded quickly, let him be crucified. And that's what they did. They took the savior of the world and they beat him mercilessly. They hung him on a wooden cross naked. They jeered him. They they stabbed him in the side and he bled out until his heart stopped beating. They put him in a borrowed tomb and on the third day, come on somebody, he rose. Isn't that great? (laughs) But there was another group of people also in that crowd that day. And they were frightened and they were ashamed and this was not their greatest moment, but they would become the greatest heroes the world has ever known. The early apostles would rebound from that cowardly moment to spread the love and the power of God for the rest of their lives. And eventually every one of them died united in proclaiming the good news about Jesus. Every one of those apostles, Peter, was crucified And when they crucified him, he asked for one dying request, crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to look like Jesus looked when he died. Andrew preached in what we now know as Russia and in Asia Minor and Turkey and Greece, and he was crucified, refusing to deny Christ. The Romans beheaded Paul after he preached everywhere and told every leader, you're not the real king. There's only one king and his name is Jesus. So they took his head off for that. Thomas, who we call Doubting Thomas, preached the gospel as far as India. And while he was preaching, he was impelled simultaneously by four spears, but he wouldn't stop preaching. Matthew preached in Persia and in Ethiopia until he was stabbed to death. Philip preached in Northern Africa and Asia Minor. And even Philip even converted the wife of the high Roman proconsul. And in retaliation for that, the proconsul had him uh, tortured until he denounced Christ, but he wouldn't renounce Christ. And so he died being tortured for his faith in Jesus. Bartholomew was martyred for his faith. Mark preached the gospel everywhere until AD 68, pagans grabbed him, put a rope around his neck, tied him to a chariot and dragged him through the streets of Alexandria to his death, all the while him screaming, Jesus is Lord. James was stoned and clubbed to death while telling the people that Jesus loved them in Syria. Simon was killed by the followers of the sun god, Mithras. In Syria, Matthias was burned at the stake while he told people about Jesus. John was the only one of the originals who died of natural causes, but it wasn't because they didn't try. John kept kept watch over Jesus' mother, Mary, and he preached regularly at the church at Ephesus. And the Romans tried to silence him by boiling a giant pot of oil and throwing him in it yet he would not die. He came out and started preaching again. And so they convicted him and sent him to the prison aisle of Patmos to be among the worst of the worst. And so John started preaching to the worst of the worst about Jesus. And then he, on that prison island, in his last days, wrote the 66th and final book of the Bible known as the Revelation, where in chapter one, he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Nobody could stop these men from preaching the gospel over and over again, telling people about the good news. And I just want you to know this, church. These are the men who handed us our church. It wasn't presidents and kings and government. Government didn't give it to us, and government can't take it away from us. It predates every government and every right of human dignity. 
And so today, I'm not waiting on some, some governor to tell me what I can and cannot do. I'm not waiting on some politician to tell me who it is. It wasn't given to me by millionaire TV preachers flying around in jets. The men and women who handed us this gospel were the people who recognized there is one thing that is eternal and matters more than anything else. It is the supreme lordship of Jesus Christ. What's, what are you going to do about COVID? Uh, I'm going to acknowledge Jesus and make him number one in my life. What are you going to do about your divorce you're going through? I'm going to make Jesus number one in my life. What are you going to do about the bankruptcy that you're facing? I'm going to make Jesus number one in my life. It is the supreme decision and the only thing that will get you out because when you put the seed in the ground of the lordship of Jesus, you may not see a harvest in that moment, but I promise you that is incorruptible seed and it will come up one day and bless you and change your whole life. You make up your mind, he's number one. These men and women, they gave us the pearl of great price. And I won't trade it for political correctness or money or a book deal or anything else. There is nothing more important than realizing Jesus is Lord. And that's my assignment. I'm on this earth because God said to me, Jerry, you, you know, while you're here, while you're breathing, I have, I have sons and daughters who are far from me. They don't know the goodness of, of my, they don't know how much I love them. And so I'm gonna do that. And you know what amazes me? What amazes me is how amazed we are when lost people act like lost people. I'm the most judge. You know, people think that preachers are judgmental, and a lot of them are. But I'm the most judged person I know. Some of y'all judging me right now. I wonder how much of that money that joker gets. You ain't thought of nothing I ain't already heard. Just go on and judge away. But why would I get upset? You are my assignment. You are my calling. You are my life's work. You, your cousin, your nephew, your parents, your grandchildren afar off, they're our assignment. And when people uh, th think that because I'm a Christian, I hate gays, or I'm going to block vote against all the Democrats, or that that one thing is going to assign me some earthly thing. Let me tell you, my assignment is with Jesus Christ. He's eternal. He's bigger than the Republican or Democratic Party. He's bigger than whatever your cultural problem is right now. He loves everybody at all times, and he has the power to change everybody's life. I'm not going to relegate my faith in him to something lower than that. I'm going to love everybody and watch him work his work. Is that okay? So people are asking right now, you know, what's going to be next? Let me, let me tell you, they're wondering, like I'm, I'm hearing crazy stuff. Like there's, there's two giant hurricanes that are about to join up in the Gulf and blow the whole Gulf away. I mean, it's 2020, anything can happen. We've all heard about the freaky desert bugs that are coming in from the West. NASA is announcing that they might have seen, you know, people, life on another planet. And everybody's wondering, is COVID mutating? Is there going to be some kind of a second wave? The whole world is asking, what's the next big thing? I'm here to tell you, I know what the next big thing is. Look at in your notes, my third point, the next great event in human history is the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. And you know what? In this season, you can choose to hunker down and hoard toilet paper and build your homemade mask and fight people who don't wear it. You do whatever you want to do during this time. But what I'm going to do is prepare for the second coming of Christ. I'm going to love people. I'm going to preach his good news. I'm going to put a smile on my face. I'm going to live today like this is my last day before Jesus takes us home. There's literally going to be a sound from heaven like a trumpet blast like you've never heard before. And all those who have put their faith in Jesus are going to be swept away in the rapture of the church. And we're going to be forever with him. And everyone who misses that moment 
will face the flames of eternity apart from God. And my assignment is to make sure first that you don't miss that moment. Actually, first, that I don't miss that moment. Next, that you don't miss that moment. And that all those that we can reach as far as we can. So today, I'm going to live like he's going to blast the trumpet tomorrow. And if it doesn't happen tomorrow, I'm going to live the next day like it's the last day. And I'm not going to be pulled into some circular argument that doesn't have any eternal significance. Listen, I've got detractors. I've got people who know how to read my mind. They read stuff that's not even there. They go, he doesn't believe in it, you know. He's a denier. He's a blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you, all this stuff that our culture thinks is so important, some of it has great importance. I lost a friend to COVID-19 last week. Two, actually. One that I grew up with, Brother Ellison's son. Mom, you know him, died with COVID-19. And then another friend of mine who helped us start this church on the Good Hope campus died. I know it's real. What I'm telling you is there is something beyond death. There's something beyond disease. There's something beyond politics and everything that is important here. There's something beyond all that that is important forever. And I want to live my life for that. I want to make sure that my focus is on things that are forever. And I'm not going to trade this gospel that was handed to me through blood and commitment for something small and cheap. Just a moment. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. We're going to take communion. But before we go there, I want to read to you Hebrews 11. Now, there are 66 books in the Bible. 65 of them, we know who God specifically anointed to write those words in 65 of those books. One is up for debate, and it's the book of Hebrews. And my favorite chapter, maybe in the whole Bible, is Hebrews 11. Now, I think the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews because he writes it like a preacher. And when I first started preaching, I would just preach Hebrews because all you got to do is read it. I mean, it's that good. And in chapter 11, Paul goes through a long list of people and gives details about their faith. Go home and read Hebrews 11. And and he gets to the place where he says, you know what? These people believe things that didn't even happen, didn't work out for them. They died in faith knowing that there was something on the other side of death more important than what they didn't get on this side. Do you know that? That there's something on the other side of death bigger than what you may or may not get on this side? Uh, There's a brand of Christianity that's popular in TV and, and, and TV preachers and and, and, and in book form, it says the minute you come to faith in Christ, everything gets wonderful and rosy and all kind of good stuff happens. You get pay raises and promotions. and all, you know, but, but the history of Christianity says that when you're invited to follow Jesus, you are invited to die. And that, yes, he blesses his sons and daughters and he likes to pour out blessings on them. But we don't do it for blessings. We do it for the future that is beyond this world. Paul, after telling us that long list of all those people of faith, he wrapped up, I'm going to read you the last nine verses of, of maybe my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. Hebrews 11, verse 32 says, and what more shall I say? I do not have the time to tell you about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David or Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions quenched the fury of flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, who became 
powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put into prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two for their faith. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, mountains, and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised. Yet God planned on something better for us so that only together, say those two words with me, only together, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Let me tell you, the highest aim of God for you and me is not that new car you've been praying for or that promotion or that raise that comes with it. He likes you to have that kind of stuff. The Bible says it's God's good pleasure to give you the blessings of the kingdom. But his highest aim for you is that you and I rally around the things that matter most. Only together can we be stronger than the petty divisions our world is engulfed in. 